time of greatest needs. And so I'm just going to stop trying to figure you out and just start trusting you more, knowing, Lord, that you're going to take care of it, and the way you take care of it is 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 always the very best way. We're uh, we're asking for uh, those that are, are in need of a physical healing, as you are the great physician. We just bring before you, Lord, and however you decide uh, to heal, we just ask, Lord, that you'd get the glory from it. That uh, if it's uh, individuals that are in the care of doctors, that Lord, that they would not get the glory, but that you would get the glory. And uh, we pray for uh, the Leak family tonight. We just lift them up to you, asking God that you be merciful there to them. Give uh, Hannah especially uh, uh, just ease of pain there. We we know that she has suffered so very, very much for so long of a time now. And such a young child. Uh, uh, still a, uh, still a, a, her adulthood is ahead of her and what she's already gone through. We just uh, ask that you be merciful there to her. For Brother J.D., we pray for him, and uh, you give him a speedy recovery, healing. We pray, uh, Lord, for um, uh, for Florence tonight. We ask that you'd uh, just be uh, merciful to her. And, Lord, as she's experiencing some uh, fear, we just ask, Spirit of God, that you would bring comfort there as you are here for that very reason. Comfort her soul tonight. Comfort her heart. Help her to realize, God, that you're right there with her. We uh, we do pray for uh, uh, for Brent uh, for Brentley and uh, we pray God that you just work on, on her behalf. We pray for Hannah. Uh, I'm sorry for uh, 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 for Penny's uh, uh, daughter. We pray for her tonight and uh, you continue to just work on her behalf. Give her healing, Lord. Brother Tommy's job and Lord, you know that, that situation. How oftentimes we. Uh, we find ourselves in uh, in not just physical need but financial, and we just ask that you'd uh, meet the needs there and according to your will. And Father, for the unspokens tonight, we um, uh, we ask that you would just move in a mighty way, powerful way, and uh, God, that you would reveal. Uh, uh, to each one of us, when that answer comes, that it was only because of you. And, uh, Lord, we're grateful again for your mercies and grace, how you continue to watch over us, care for us, meeting each and every need, even though we may not know when it's going to be here or how it's going to come. We're grateful for a God that we serve who's pure, who's holy, who's just, and who loves mercy. We're thankful for you, Lord. We're looking forward to the day when faith will be sight and that we will uh, no longer um, be um, wondering uh, what what heaven's going to be like, uh, wondering what we're going to be in, uh, doing in heaven. It'll all come to light one of these days. Help us be found faithful at your coming. May we cherish the words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I'll bless our time tonight, Lord, again, and uh, just use uh, this time for your, for your glory. In Christ Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's take our hymnals and uh, sing one more song. <clears throat> 541. 
And we'll use this as our last congregational before Brother Eddie Oates comes and brings a message tonight. Looking forward to it. Amen. 541. Set my soul afire, Lord, for Thy holy Word. Burn it deep within me. Let Your voice be heard. Millions grope in darkness in this day and hour. I will be Your witness. Fill me with Thy power. Set my soul afire, Lord. Set my soul afire. Make my life a witness of Thy saving power. Millions grope in darkness, waiting for Thy Word. Set my soul afire, Lord, set my soul afire. Set my soul afire, Lord. For the lost in sin, give to me a passion as I seek to win. Help me not to falter, never let me fail. Fill me with thy spirit, let thy will prevail. Set my soul afire, Lord, set my soul afire. Make my life a witness of Thy saving power. Millions grope in darkness, waiting for Thy word. Set my soul afire, Lord. Set my soul afire, set my soul afire, Lord, in my daily life. For too long I've wandered in this day of strife. Nothing else will matter but to live for Thee. I will be your witness as you live in me. Set my soul afire, Lord. Set my soul afire. Make my life a witness of thy saving power. Millions grope in darkness, waiting for Thy Word. Set my soul afire, Lord, set my soul afire. Come on, brother. All right. Thank you, Brother Robbins. Good to cross paths with you again. I've got till 9 o'clock, he said. Or it was midnight. I, I couldn't hear him. But 
Ephesians chapter 4 in your Bibles, would you please turn there? In uh, the fall, I'll be preaching in a church in Jefferson City to a group of preachers a few times. I have the privilege and joy of not just preaching to normal people, but abnormal people. And uh, even though it's in the fall, the Lord has been working in my heart about what in the world would I say to preachers. We all know that preachers know everything anyway. What can I say that would help them or encourage them or teach them something? And the Lord laid on my heart a passage of Scripture. Um, and He's laid on my heart tonight for you this same passage. I do not know if this is the message I'll preach in the fall or not, but I do know this. It's the message I'm going to preach here tonight. And uh, so and the Lord does work in mysterious ways. Look at it, Ephesians chapter number 4. Brother Roberts, thank you again for your faithfulness, Sister Roberts, and your playing the piano. What a blessing, what a blessing. Faithful, faithful, sweet people. Look at verse number 1, I therefore. That word therefore means of a lot of things have come before. The Apostle Paul has been talking to the church at Ephesus. He has tried to enlighten them as to all that they have been blessed with, blessings upon blessings, manifold blessings. He says he's the prisoner of the Lord. And then he says, beseech you, I beg you, watch this now, that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. Now, the Lord has laid this passage on my heart for preachers, uh, but this was not given to preachers. This was given to a congregation there in the church at Ephesus. So this is a verse for believers. But verse number one tells us what this call is. It is, and you ought to underline these two words, walk worthy. That's the theme. And he's going to bring out how we walk worthy in our Christian lives. Not just walk worthy as preachers. Yes, I think that's certainly true. But even more so, I think we ought to walk worthy as believers. And then he gives us in verse number two some of the characteristics that help us or enable us to walk worthy. And I want you to see them in verse number 2, and I'm only going to point out but one, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. Verse 3 says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And let me just say that these are characteristics that I think that are progressive in their intent. For example, it begins with all, it says in verse number 2, with all lowliness. That's the message title tonight, all lowliness. If I were to give you two words that perhaps you would relate to perhaps better in our English language, it would be total, that's what the word all means, total lowliness means humility. So I'm speaking on the subject all lowliness, or really total humility. What in the world does that mean anyway? Whatever it means, it means this. 
if we'll have a walk that is worthy of the vocation wherewith we've been called, it will begin with total humility. God never uses a proud Christian. Never. It always comes back to this first characteristic of all lowliness. But if we are totally humble, look what that leads to. Meekness. Meekness leads to long-suffering. Long-suffering leads to forbearing one another in love. And verse 3, that leads to endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit, and that leads finally in the bond of peace. A lot of wonderful things happen if we could just learn to humble ourselves. I don't know about you, but I do know this. I struggle with this. I know that every preacher struggles with this. I know that every preacher's wife struggles with this. Yes, this is intended in my message perhaps in the fall, should the Lord lay this message on my heart for preachers. But can I tell you that every Christian, every believer gets up every day and struggles with this area called humility, to be humble. There are several things I want to say about this tonight in the message. And in so doing, I want to be careful because I'm not in my pulpit, but I'm in another person's pulpit by invitation. And I would not want to say anything that would bring disagreement with your pastor, nor would I want to say anything that would be even more so to me, bring disagreement or dishonor to what the Lord uh, says. So I always approach somebody else's pulpit uh, with fear and trembling, quite honestly. Um, In fact, I want you to see several words here, and then I'll begin with the message real quickly, and I'll jump in, and I'll be done here in a short, short time. It will not be midnight. It will not be close to it. It will not be 9 o'clock either, but uh, it will uh, be worth your hearing what I think the Lord has laid on my heart. 2 Peter, chapter number 3. I want you to turn there. 2 Peter, chapter number 3. And let me just give you a word study as far as the Bible is concerned and our responsibility to it. In 2 Peter, chapter 3, it's good to have my fiancé, Miss Sharon, with me if you were not here Back in, I don't know, November or the last time, maybe it was December, I'm not sure when I was here last, but when I was here last, she was with me then and she's with me tonight, and um, and I'm so honored. And I also want to stop and thank you for remembering myself and our family in the homegoing of our mother. Uh, many of you, I'm sure, have lifted our family in prayer. I was there for five weeks in the Dallas, Texas area. The last time I was preaching here, I said, my mother is at death's door. I got the call just shortly thereafter. Uh, Eddie Paul, if you want to come and see Mama, you need to come sooner rather than later. I got on the next plane the next day and flew there. They said she would get not live more than ten days, uh, but she lived five weeks. And those were good five weeks. I mean, she was uh, not bedridden. Until the last three days, uh, if she wanted a snow cone in Texas, then you you just, if she felt like it, we'd get, get her in the car, take her down to get her favorite sugar-free snow cone. And we had a wonderful five weeks 
of just treasured memories with our lovely mother. And I'm so grateful for your prayers. And uh, uh, my mother was 83, went to heaven because of liver failure or liver disease. Uh, she had a twin sister, Athy, who also had liver failure. But mom's condition was always much worse than Athy's. And uh, that was true up until just before mom went to heaven. And her sister, Anathy, took a turn after a little simple procedure. And within 10 days, uh, my Aunt Athy, who is the spitting image of my mother, uh, uh, went to heaven. And when I told my mother that Sunday afternoon about her sister, and they were always, they, they were twins and the way they looked, the way they talked. Uh, honestly, one played the piano, the other played the organ in the same church. And folks, I'd love to see visitors coming and looking because they'd just almost have a whiplash, you know. I mean, they were just always together, always uh, alike in so many ways. But when I told my mother that Sunday afternoon, about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, that her sister had gone to heaven. It stunned her. It shocked her. Um, and three days later, my mother uh, would also go to heaven. We had two funerals. I went down there to bury my mother. I buried her sister the day before and then my mother the next day. They're buried in the same cemetery, just a few feet apart. But thank you so much for praying and lifting our family up during that moment. And uh, if Mama wanted me to do anything, she wanted me to serve the Lord. And uh, so back to the grind we go. And Ephesians chapter 4 tells us something, that if we're going to walk worthy in serving the Lord, we've got to know, first of all, something about total lowliness. In Second Peter, I ask you to turn there, chapter 3, and look at verse number 16. As also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things. And we're talking about the Bible here, Paul, or Peter is telling us. Be understood. I'm sorry, in which are some things hard to be understood. Which they that are unlearned and unstable rest as they do also the other scriptures. Unto their own destruction, it says. Now that's interesting, that word rest. It comes from a word strepho in the Greek language. And that word literally means to twist something. It actually takes its meaning from someone being placed on a rack a human rack to be tortured. And they would stretch the person's body, torturing them until finally their breaking point, and they would perhaps get a confession or get them to say something that they wanted to be said. And they would use this, this torture mechanism. Can I tell you that Peter tells us that a lot of folks, unlearned and unstable, sometimes do that with the Scriptures. He uses the word rest, W-R-E-S-T. You say, well, Brother Oates, what are you talking about? I'm saying that a lot of folks can take a lot of Scriptures and twist them to their own advantage. Make it mean something that it does not mean. Your pastor said something to me a few days ago when we were uh, discussing uh, uh, and fellowshipping with each other. It, he said, uh, you know, when somebody says something about a better word than a Bible word, they'll point out. They should have interpreted it this way, the, the, the translators. He said, well, I think we do a great injustice, and I do too, 
In fact, I think we do a great sin. Uh, that's taking the Bible and twisting it to mean something, perhaps, what it would not mean otherwise. For your own benefit. That's resting the Scriptures. I need to be careful every time I stand in somebody else's pulpit or my own that I'm not guilty of resting or twisting the Scriptures to make the Scriptures mean something that it does not. But there's another area I need to be careful about. And that's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And verse number 17, because of time, we don't have to turn uh, there, but I want you to know that the Bible says that we can corrupt the Word of God. That's interesting to me, corrupt the Word of God. That word comes from a Greek word, and that Greek word is kapaluo, is the Greek word, and it means somebody that is a huckster or a con man. A phony, if you please. Um, we might have called them in the day a, a snake oil salesman. I mean, and what they're doing is they can take, the Bible says, they, they corrupt the Word of God. So they can take the Word of God and they can present it in such a way as to make themselves gain personally. You know, it's amazing to me, but Brother Roberts, there's a lot of men that, are preachers today that are millionaire preachers. I'm not saying there's anything sinful about being a millionaire, but there's a lot of them running around. And they're running around becoming millionaires by teaching and preaching the Bible. And in some cases, they could be taking the Bible and corrupting it to their own selfish ends. I must be careful of that. But the greatest warning that I have is also the greatest warning you have concerning God's Word. And that is that we do not disobey it. The bottom line is, I must be true to the Bible. Amen. The Bible says this in James and chapter number 4 in verse number 17, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is what? Sin, and it is for you, and it is for me. So I need to be careful. And with that in mind, I laid the groundwork for this message this evening. There are some areas that I deal with. I'm not talking about areas you deal with. I'm now preaching to myself, okay? But as I preach to myself, maybe you can listen in. And maybe if it's an area where the devil tempts me, he could be tempting you as well to get us to think more of ourselves than we ought to. It is a sin to think more highly of yourself than you ought to. We call that sin pride. In fact, you can trace every other sin back to that one basic sin, pride. Did you know that the devil himself, in Isaiah chapter 3, he fell because of pride. So it's a sin that we all deal with. And we probably deal with it more than we, uh, if, we were, if we were not so proudful, we'd probably admit, yeah, that I have to deal with that quite a bit. Now, praise the Lord, today I'm getting more victory, I think, in that area than I did when I first started out in this Christian life. 
but only because I'm doing some of the things the Bible tells me I need to be doing in order to combat this terrible, terrible thing that can absolutely take away the power of God and, and rob God from His own glory. And by the way, get you in a heap of trouble too. Second, I'm sorry, First Corinthians chapter 2. Now, I want you to use your Bibles for just a few moments. and I want to use about a half a dozen scriptures, and I'll, I'll quote a few other half dozen scriptures, and then I'll be through. First Corinthians chapter number 2, and verse, let's see here, verse number 1. First Corinthians chapter 2 and verse... Number one. And I, brethren, when I came to you, this is the Apostle Paul, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in, what's the next word? Weakness and in fear and in much Trembling, and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Oh, to God, we could find that true again in our pulpits across this land and this country and this world. Now, we'll tell you if Paul probably could have used some enticing words, could have used some eloquent speech because he was trained at the feet of the greatest rabbi of his day. He knew his Bible. But when he comes to these people, he said, this is the way I approached it. Did you know that every once in a while, a preacher will get a pat on the back and say, boy, that was sure a good sermon. And every once in a while, somebody says, that's the best sermon I've ever heard. And even ever once in a while, even in my lifetime, I've preached a sermon in 30 years. Honest to, uh, honest to goodness, this happened right here in Festus. 30 years ago, I preached a sermon over in the state of Illinois. And on, on a Sunday night, I came across that pastor who was visiting over here on our side of the river. He said, Brother Eddie Paul Oates, he said, I still remember... When you came and preached a sermon in my church 30 years ago, I said, really? He said, I certainly do. Just a bowl of chili. And I looked at him and I thought to myself, just a bowl of what? Chili. And I vaguely remember the title of the message, but he remembered it 30 years ago. And I got to thinking on my way home, wow, for a preacher who's in church almost every night because he went into evangelism after he exited the, the pastorate. And, and I'm telling you, it's heard, I'm sure, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of sermons. For him to come to me and to say, I still remember 30 years later, all of a sudden on my way home, I thought, wow, I must be pretty good preacher. Somebody remembers something like that 30 years later. Can I tell you that if I am a good preacher, whatever that means to you, I'm not, but whatever that means to you, it's only because of the grace of God. Did you know that preaching is a gift? Now, I work hard at it. I really do. 
I, I failed public speech three times. In, well, two times. The third time I finally got through it in college. I mean, it, I, it just didn't come normal to me, natural to me. I had to work at it. I still have to work at it. But I'm going to tell you this. I do think, without any reservation, I can tell you that God has given me the ability to stand in front of people and open His Word and teach it and preach it. But I'm telling you this too. This is for me now, right? That pride can even slip in when it comes to our ability. The devil knows how to use pride in our lives. And I need to be careful and so if you've got any talent, if you've got any ability, if you've got any skill whatsoever, make sure you keep pointing to Him because that's where it comes from anyway. And don't you ever forget it because He knows how to turn the water off and do it very, very quickly. But not only do I see pride sometimes creeping in in my ability, but in Deuteronomy chapter 8, would you turn there please? In the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter number 8. And this just about says it. I don't have to say a whole lot after this. But I want you to see what happened here with the children of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter number 8. And look at verse, verse number 1. Deuteronomy the 8th. I'm sorry, verse... Uh, Verse number 11, I can't read. Verse number 11, look at it. Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God in not keeping His commandments and His judgments and His statutes, which I command thee this day, lest when thou hast eaten and art full and hast built goodly houses and dwelt therein, and when thy herds and thy flocks multiply, and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied, and all that thou hast is multiplied, then thine heart be, there it is, lifted up. That's pride. Notice what happens. And thou forget the Lord thy God, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Can I tell you, you and I live in a day far, far different from what our great-grandparents grew up in. We got houses they didn't have. We drive, we drive automobiles. They, they didn't quite have the kind we have today. We wear clothes a, li a little bit differently than perhaps they had the, even the ability to, to, uh, to get. And, and I'm just telling you that our standard of living, we don't have outhouses, at least most of us. Uh, we, our outhouses are now inside the house, and, and our running water is at a faucet. We don't have to run down to the well and pump it. I'm just saying that our lifestyles have changed. But can I tell you that if that's true, we need to look that way and say, Lord, thank you for your blessings. Because if you don't watch it, you'll not only have pride with your ability, but you'll have pride in your abundance. Look what I'm driving. Hey, would you like to know what kind of suit this is that I've got on tonight? All of a sudden, the little cry, the devil knows your weaknesses. He knows the areas where you are prone 
to slip. And he uses abundance oftentimes to say, look at what you've done. Boy, you worked hard to get to where you are. You, 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 you were diligent all of your life, all those years. You deserve what you've got. And can I tell you, the truth is, well, you know what the truth is, right? So let's go on to the third area that I struggle with sometimes. And that is in my accomplishments. First Samuel chapter 2 and verse number 13. Listen to this. This is Hannah speaking. And she says this. She says, Talk no more so exceeding proudly. Let not arrogancy come out of your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by Him actions are weighed. She said, wait a minute, go ahead and pat yourself on the back and say all the things you've done. But I'm going to tell you, God knows more than you're, you're giving Him credit for. He knows the real you. He knows the real truth. Now, it's, I'm not minimizing accomplishments, and I'm not minimizing when God uses you to accomplish something. But never forget, it was God that used you. You, you, you. you couldn't have done it without Him. Hey, can I tell you something? You couldn't have gotten out of bed today had it not been for Him. You wouldn't even be taking the next breath were it not for Him. So, accomplishments, I applaud them, but... Don't forget who gave you the wherewithal to accomplish anything. There's another area of pride that I deal with. Before I get to that area, there are two areas that we like to talk about as far as accomplishments, what we've done and what we're going to do. Both can be used by the devil to cause us to have our hearts filled with pride. Now let me give you another area. I call this one associational pride, or the pride of our associations. In James chapter 2 and verse number 2, I don't have time to read the verse, but you know this verse. This is when a poor man and a rich man come to a church service, in the same church service, one's poor, one's rich. And what they do is they show preference to the rich man. They give the rich man the best seat in the house, and the poor man has to figure it out on his own, right? And we call that, we call that treating others unfairly. Now, I don't know about you. They may not have had the education you have. They may not have grown up in the neighborhood you grew up in. They may not drive the kind of car you drive. They may not have the kind of parents you have. But can I tell you, if they're breathing, God loves them. God loves them. And especially when they come to church, God really loves them. And if you don't think He loves poor people, then you need to check Jesus out again. Born in Bethlehem. Associational pride. There's another one. You ladies, we, we talk about this sort of pride in, with you in mind, but this does not negate men. I will call this the pride of appearance. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 9 says that women are to adorn themselves in 
Modest apparel describes what modesty is. It means not to attract attention to yourselves. Back in this day, they would take their hair and their hair would be woven up almost like the, a beehive. By the way, there was a time in our nation when, when ladies were doing that. They, you know those, those that look like a cone on top of your head, you know, the other way? And here's what they would do. They would take ivory and sticks and, and metals and jewelry and all kinds of little ornaments. It looked like a Christmas tree, honestly. And they would, they would poke it through their hair. And whenever they would walk in, I mean, you would know them by their appearance. Oh, there's somebody. They're from that side of the tracks. Look at them. Wow, look at her. Now, the truth is, we still do the same thing today. We just do it a little differently. But I'm telling you that if you're not careful, and, and maybe the Lord has blessed you with some things of, uh, that, that make, and I'm not against wearing things that look uh, so, uh, so poor. The Pharisees did that, right? They, they would go out and, 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 and take the sackcloth and pour dirt over themselves and make their face look as if, they, and so everybody would know, oh, they... they they must be spiritual, spiritual, right? They're fasting when they pray, and on and on and on. But their appearance was their big error. That was their big error. And it could be yours too. I say, I say do the best you can, right? If you can't go to Macy's and purchase clothes, go to Goodwill, but do the best you can. But it isn't all about what you look like as much as what you are on the inside. There's one more. I struggle with this. I struggle with this one. And this is what I'm going to call the pride of attitude. Or really the wrong attitude. In Matthew chapter 23, verse number 13 through verse number 16, Jesus said, Woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. He said it. Three times, four times there in those verses. It's the only time in the Bible that Jesus condemned not only the sin, but He condemned the sin and the sinner. By the way, He blistered them too. And you know what His attack, His, his, his point was this. You scribes, Pharisees, you're a bunch of hypocrites. You, you, you appear to be something that in reality you're not, but you think you're somebody. Can I tell you that God has a, He's got a sense of humor, and He's got a way of humbling people that are full of pride. The very first time I ever preached in St. Louis, many, many years back, I was barely a teenager. I got a call to preach. I remember I was so proud of myself. I had a good outline I was going to open up in the Bible. I was going to preach. And this was my first time. And I was, woo, I have arrived, right? Until I got in the car. And as I got in the car, I took my left leg and I swung it over into the car seat. And when I did, I heard this horrendous noise in the backside of my trousers. And I knew I didn't even have to. I didn't even have to feel, but I went ahead and felt just to see if it is, was as bad as what it sounded. It was very, very bad. I thought to myself, "But praise the Lord, I'm running late. I don't have, time. I don't have another pair to match. I'll just, I just go the way I am. Make sure I'll keep my back to the wall. That church has already started. I'll come down the side and I'll, I'll get all the way to the side. I'll, I'll 
I'll just shake hands going down the, the wall that way. And I'll get up here and everything's fine. And I preached. I gave the invitation. People were standing. And a young man raised his hand, needed Christ. And he came forward. I had said, son, if you'll come down here, I'll meet you at the front and show you the best news from the Bible you've ever known in your life. He came forward. And all of a sudden, I forgot about everything. I met him, took my Bible. I met him at the front. And I said, boy, it's wonderful. I'm so glad you came. Let's be all right here. And let me show you from the Bible the best news you ever heard. And it dawned on me while I was leading in the sinner's prayer. I was showing him Christ, but then it dawned on me, ah, I forgot all about that back there. I'm telling you, God knows how to humble people. I remember the first time somebody said, Brother Oates, would you sign my Bible? I'd, been, I'd ask other preachers to sign my Bible, but I'd never had anybody ask me to sign their Bible. And I thought, sure, I'll do that. I got my big pen. Felt like it was about a foot long, you know. And I looked at that Bible and I put my name. I knew my name, Eddie Paul Oates, O-A-T-S. I got that part right. And then I thought to myself, but they always put a verse under their name. In my Bible, those preachers I ask, and I thought all I know is John 3.16. She'll think if I put John 3.16, I don't know the Bible. That's the only verse. Not that that's a bad verse. That is the Bible, really. But I would tell you, I thought, well, I'll just make one up. And I made it up. Couldn't wait to get home to read it myself, only to find out it wasn't in the Bible. Now, that's not a good thing, folks, for a preacher to sign a Bible and put a verse that's not in the Bible. But I'm telling you, God knows how to humble a sinner. I want a worthy walk. More than anything in my life, as I come really to the end of my days, is to walk worthy. You say, how are you going to do that, Brother Oates? I'm not real sure. I don't have all the answers, but I know one thing. It always starts with all lowliness. All total lowliness, humility. Say, how about you? Where do you fit in on this thing? Where do you feel the devil works in your life in the area of pride? Do you have some ability that maybe the devil could use to get you to think in a way that would not honor the Lord or give Him glory? Do you have in your arsenal some areas that the devil says, you know what, they've got more abundance than their great-grandparents ever thought about having You know, I can use that abundance. Is it the pride of accomplishment? Look what you've done or what you're going to do? Is it in your association or associations? Think you're better than somebody else? Is it in how you look, your appearance? Or is it really back to the attitude? You know, Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 The Sermon on the Mount. He went up, the Bible says. And when he was set, he opened his mouth because his disciples came unto him and he taught them, saying, watch this, Blessed are 
the poor in spirit. Jesus went up to teach them how to go down. Poor in spirit. All loneliness. If God is going to use us, then we're going to have to just be signposts that point that way. Let's bow our heads. Thank you for your patience. I think it's 11 minutes after the hour. I apologize for going a few minutes past the hour. But I am telling you this. The devil wants to influence your life. And he can even use some good areas to build you up with something called pride. Well, be careful. If you're going to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you've been called, you must begin with all lowliness. Father in heaven, thank you again for this book. I would not want to rest it or twist it to make it mean something that it shouldn't. Nor, Lord, would I want to be guilty of using it like a con man for my own personal gain and selfish interest. And Lord, I certainly would not want to be guilty of disobeying your inspired and arrogant and power-filled Word of God. Lord, I want to walk worthy. So many areas I fail. And therein begins the humbling process. I must admit my failures and my complete need of a loving Lord. For I can do nothing. Help us to say like the Apostle Paul, For when I am weak, then... Am I strong? Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Who would say tonight, Brother Oates, the Holy Spirit used something you said, or he used his word, and I need I need to give God the glory. The Lord spoke to my heart about some area in my life where I see with a little pride, and I'm going to bring it before him before I go to sleep tonight. I promise him that. Would you slip your hand up and put it right back down? Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Shall we stand? Is there anything else to add to the message or to the service tonight? Then let's go ahead and close the service in prayer. Thank you again for coming on this Wednesday night. I know you could have gone a hundred other different places.